Welcome to the Healing Grove Podcast. I'm Dr. Kristen Ryman, an integrative holistic family physician, author of Life After Lyme, and host in this virtual space of learning, healing, and growing. I believe humans are like trees, and our physical limb is only one of many. Health on all limbs of the tree, emotional, conceptual, social, spiritual, is absolutely required for the whole tree that is you to be vibrantly well. I created the Healing Grove podcast as a place to showcase some of the world's best integrative and holistic medicine, to expose you to transformative tools and mindset shifts for all limbs of your tree. I hope you enjoy our conversation in the Healing Grove today as much as I enjoyed having it. All right, Cassandra Stahl, welcome to the Healing Grove podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm happy too. And I, I'm going to start with introducing you, but then I really want you to introduce yourself and tell us your story. Um, so everyone, this is Cassandra Stahl. She's my friend. She's also my wealth management advisor, which is a brand new thing for me. I've never had a wealth management advisor, unless you count my husband, who for <laughs> all of our marriage has stayed up way too late going through spreadsheets that he creates and, you know, taking the full burden of worrying about money onto his shoulders. And so about a year ago, we reached out and found Cassandra. Um, but first, let me tell you sort of what she does. So she's a partner in private wealth advisor with Northwestern Mutual's Legacy Wealth Planning Group, where she guides individuals like me and my hubby and small business owners, also like me, to dream courageously and live with purpose. She does this by helping her clients, me included, align their values <laughs> with their actions. So, you know, she's really kind of like a life coach, but for money but it's more about money in a nutshell. So how does she do this? She does it by creating a fun, safe atmosphere. So a lot of people, when they hear safe and fun, they don't think like money conversations, but I want to just emphasize that this is why you're on this podcast because you actually do this. You create a very healthy relationship to money and it allows your clients to open up and talk about where they want their money to take them, why they want to go there. And then even better bonus plan, you stick around, stay by our side and help us navigate the course. So it's a real privilege to work with you. I'm super excited to hear you talk about the energy of money and the, you know, the importance of putting a soul in money, which is a conversation we had last time we talked, which I've never heard anyone talk about putting a soul in money. And I just wanted people to hear you do your thing. Kristen, thank you so much. This is so much fun to be able to be together and knowing you and Greg has been such a gift. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much for having me here. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. And if anyone's still wondering like why I would have a person who's like a financial advisor or wealth management person, money guru on the healing growth podcast, I want to be very clear. If you'd asked me 10 years ago, if I thought money had anything to do with health, I would have said, I know, I don't really want to talk about money. And becoming a business owner, I had to start thinking about money and thinking about how it flows and thinking about how to invest it in, in my people and in my products and in my services and in the world and in myself. And so it's, it's become really clear to me that money is energy and it is important to some, someone's health and a healthy relationship with money is also really key to someone's health on all limbs of their tree. So I think it has a, a huge role to play and I'm excited that you get to be the one to teach us how that, what that looks like. Well, thank you. And it's so true that money is never about money. Money is always about life. And my opinion is that money amplifies the true essence of the person that has it. 
so my mission more than anything is to get more money in the hands of good people like you and Greg, because I, that's how you make a better world. Dollars are votes. And if we could get dollars in the hands of good people, I really do think that we have a better world ahead of us. And really money's about flexibility and it's about maximum return on fulfillment, <laughs> not on investment accounts, maximum return on fulfillment. How do we create that? Um, and to the extent that we can have a vision around our money, having the dollars to reinforce the vision that you have for your life. And hopefully you're having these conversations with somebody that encourages you to dream and vision out in a fearless way, then you, you can kind of figure out what you really want without money being a hindrance or some kind of a, an energetic suck, if you will, technical term, of course. Um, so it's, it's exciting. It's been exciting to see the kind of soul that people want to have for their money. It's been, been a trip. <laughs> well, I want to hear, um, I want to hear more about, about the money suck and the, or the, the, the headspace people get into around money. Okay. I think you have some insights there, but first I want to hear, I really want to understand like how you ended up on this journey. Like what brought you to the place you are being in, you know, in the space you are with people and their money and helping them think their relationship to it. Sure. Um, so as a young person, I was very into, still am, of course, very into Wayne Dyer. Um, I was on stage with Wayne for the first time when I was 12. So I've always been very interested in what happens between our ears and always felt like I had an understanding that that does create our life and it does create our experience and that there's more that we can, can do that we can do to control that that is largely discussed. Um, however, when I was getting ready to go to school, I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. I was certain my signature can prove it because you can't read my signature because I thought I was going to be writing scripts all day. Thank goodness I'm not for so many reasons. Um, but I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. I was certain of that. I've done a lot of work with um, people with blood cancers and the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society since I was, I was a small child. So I go to school pre-med and then guess what? Girlfriend can't do science. It just doesn't, you know, some people are fit for some things and my friend, I'm not fit for chemistry is what I learned pretty quickly. So I was sitting on the library steps of Muhlenberg College where I went to school. Um, I point there because I live about half a mile from Muhlenberg now. I can hear the bells at 12 and six. Um, and I was talking to my dad on the steps of the library about this horrible time I was having in chemistry. And he said, you know, you don't have to wait for somebody to be dying to help them. I'm like, what kind of Jedi mind trick is this dad? Anyone that knows my dad won't be surprised by that. And he said, you know what, you can do, do what I do, give it a try. My dad had, um, he ran the brokerage division of MetLife nationally. And then in 2001 had come to um, Northwestern Mutual to grow his practice and actually start working with human beings instead of businesses for the first time um, in, two, in 2001. So he just encouraged me to give it a try. And from there, I did one summer as an intern. I got all my licenses and became like wildly addicted to doing this for people. Because what I realized is that I get to ask people questions that they don't normally get asked of what do you actually want like let's disembark the dribble wheel of life for a moment 
and think about what's this all for is like the purpose of life isn't doing the purpose of life is fulfillment and it's joy and what brings you those things and my my mission is to understand those of people and to hold enough safe space for them to share those things with me so I can make sure that they tell the same story as their money does because when those two things are congruent your head and your heart get to be aligned and that's when really good things happen and there's not that congruency money is usually um, thought about from a very scarce narrative for most people they call it your money script is usually from some form of scarcity especially since most of us have been raised by depression era folks or folks that are one generation away from that still pretty close um so to bring abundance and joy and life to that conversation is really liberating and it's i have a heck of a lot of fun doing it so that's how i ended up here 11 years ago amazing and let's talk a little bit more about the about the scarcity script do you feel like the depression era parents is the only piece of that or are there other influences that you think are contributing to people's feelings and fears about money there's so much. I think depression era parents or depression era families. Um, I think it's the only good excuse <laughs> um, because they were they lived in a world that you could go to the bank and maybe not get your money, and that's um, that's scary. And that what we've not done well is any form of education surrounding money. Of here's why this happened, and here's why it won't happen again. Um, so we're kind of living in a, an outdated set of assumptions in our mind, which is true of, of the mind complete, right? It's 2 million year old software that has never been updated, right? So we have a tendency to get to these um, very protective patterns because our brain still thinks we're cave people sometimes and that we need to protect ourselves from a saber toothed tiger. And the reality is that um, we have modern conveniences and safeties and, and there's actually no reason to be fearful um, and to feel that in your nervous system. So, that's one thing. But beyond that, we have, I would say it's a lot of just how society is arranged. There's a lot of scarce messages and you need this external thing to be happy. And you need to keep up with these people and you need to keep getting promotions. What we don't teach people is that it's okay to have enough. It's okay to be enough, to feel enough. And you don't always need to be rolling in pursuit of the next thing. And the universe is like a mirror. So if we always look at, well, what's the next thing? And I need more and I need better and I need this and I don't have. Um, if, you're, if we're always in pursuit, we're never going to feel home. We're never going to feel happier enough. Um, and, and money is, is kind of the river that runs beneath all of that. So I think it's just translated most obviously to money, at least from where I sit. Have you ever read The Big Leap? Yes. Yeah. I love the big leap. Yeah. I love the big leap. What you're talking about really is reminding me of that kind of ceiling on happiness, ceiling on enoughness that humans kind of put there. Yeah. He talks about a lot of the same influences of sort of our ancient, our ancient DNA and sort of what we grew, grew into and evolved being and needing to be, but we're not that anymore. For sure. It's so funny. You mentioned that book because somebody that I hardly knew mentioned that I read it my freshman year of college when I was at risk of failing chemistry. <laughs> so that came in. Maybe that's why I have the philosophy that I do here. Fabulous book though. You the said something. Oh, sorry. Sorry. We had a little lapse. What was that? But the success thermostat and the happiness thermostat, it's real. And we, we sabotage ourselves 
to remain at the levels that we feel we're worthy of. Because worthiness isn't trendy, I guess. What a shame. Yeah. Not yet anyway. Mm-hmm. Eventually. We can hope that worthiness will be the next one. Yes. Let's do that. So speaking of worthy, I heard you say on a podcast interview with someone else that you really believed that everyone should feel worthy of having a financial advisor on their team. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's kind of um, mind blowing. It certainly was for me. Um, And as I think about, well, who, okay, why is that mind blowing? Who might not feel worthy of a financial advisor? Well, maybe someone who doesn't have a ton of money doesn't feel that they're worthy. Their money is worth the investment and of time and energy in managing it. Maybe that could be the person, but where do you, why do you feel like that's a hard thing for people to hear and, and say more about that? Cause I think it might be controversial. Yeah, unfortunately so. Um, you know, what's really interesting. I don't find a correlation in that way between feeling worthy of asking for the partnership of an advisor and wealth or income. I find it sometimes to be the opposite. So sometimes there's people that you feel like I'm at the beginning of my journey. I don't have the means. I think that we all feel like, and I think that this is how society is just kind of queued up right now that we're moving towards something. And when I get to the next finish line, that's when it'll be good. That's when I'll be ready. That's when I'm going to be willing to have this very vulnerable conversation. Um, And I think that everybody is just looking to get up to the next rung before they have this open, candid, vulnerable conversation with somebody. And the reality is that you're not meant to reach the mountaintop alone. Everybody is meant to partner. I firm belief that life is a team sport, yet we're being fooled into thinking that we should be dealing with some of life's most important topics in isolation. And that's head trash. That's such utter nonsense is there are resources. And the reason we read books about people we respect is because you could download decades into days and we can read the big leap. And I don't know how long that book took to write or how long it took to acquire the wisdom to write that book, but it certainly was longer than how long it took me to read it. So we're all so deserving of that. And I find that it's people all over the wealth and income spectrum that feel like I'm not where I should be to have this conversation. I think the other big thing is that this is still largely regarded as a taboo topic, which again, I do feel like that was born of depression era of like, well, no, we should have it together and and I should be able to understand this. But the reality is we have no education around finances. How could you expect me to understand something that isn't intuitive, is not set up to be um, easily digested or understood, and that we've never taught you? How insane is that? How could somebody ever expect somebody else to understand that? Um, But everybody's worthy of the conversation. And really, it's all about having that feeling of worthiness and understanding that, yes, some financial advisors, just like some people in every industry, aren't the best. We're going to leave it at that, I suppose. And they're not in it for you. They're in it for them. Okay, let's, let's cast those people aside because I do think there's more good people than bad out there. There's plenty of people that that look and act like me that do the things that I do. And there's somebody for everybody. So I hope that everybody feels comfortable in pursuing meeting that person that you can connect with truly on the level of the soul and that you could feel safe with and that you could have those candid conversations and feel comfortable not knowing um, and asking for assistance for somebody from somebody else. I think that's really important. 
So I, I'm sure some people are listening right now and saying, ah, okay, I, I'm convinced I'm worthy of asking for help in this regard. I'm worthy of partnership with a financier, someone who can help me play future and how to use my money. What's it going to cost me? Like, what does that normally look like? Like, what is, how do people even go about sort of budgeting for that or thinking through that decision? Great question. Um, so for the most part, I'm going to paint with a broad brush here. It's usually up to the advisor. There's lots of different ways you could do this. And I, I would be reluctant to label one as good or one as bad. Um, there are times that you could pay for a plan, a document, kind of a guiding document of here's what we're doing, here's when we're doing it, here's why we're doing it in pursuit of the things that are important to you. There are times that you pay quarterly, like a subscription type deal. There are times that you're just paying for the assets um, that, that are actually being dealt with. Those, I think, are the three main pockets. And none of them are right and none of them are wrong. It's all about the person that you're connecting with. And does it feel to be congruent with this person's philosophy? The way that I do it is congruent with the way that I charge. It makes sense. Is You need to feel that congruency. And you're not going to feel that with your brain. You're going to feel it with your heart. So I think it's important that even though this is a kind of a hard skill conversation, like a, a finance conversation to quiet your brain and feel, all right, does this feel congruent with this human being who I'm trusting? Do people often get a chance to sort of meet and vet and sample their financial advisor before they they opt in to work with someone? Oh yeah, absolutely. And it, candidly, if somebody is not willing to meet you first, let's part as friends. And like crack the door for the future because you, you never know what situation anybody is in. But yeah, I, I even the most high end firms, I can't think of a time that you aren't able to. Um, and if you feel that somebody's kind of got their foot on the gas and they're pushing you to not have that introductory conversation and instead just just push the car forward. Um, that's a good time to use your voice, <laughs> I suppose, and kind of pump the brakes a little bit and make sure that you're moving at a cadence that you feel comfortable with. Which I think sometimes, because this is the language that financial advisors speak every day, we forget that it's not the language that you speak every day. Um, and I think some advisors have grown insensitive because of that. It doesn't mean they're insensitive people, but they need to be reminded. Mm -hmm. Kind of like doctors, to not use doctor speak. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So um, what are some good questions to ask a potential partner if someone is sort of doing this and working this process and trying to find the right person? What do you recommend they they ask? I would want to know who that person is on a, on a personal level, because I, I think you could tell a lot from that and, and a lot about their willingness to share their personal life with you. I'm not saying like, tell me your deepest, darkest secrets from when you were 12 years old, but I am saying like, get to know this person as a human being. I feel like if you're not excited at the idea of like maybe going out to dinner with your financial advisor, or if it's you and I talking about what plants I can plant in the winter versus the summer, because I do want to talk to you about that, um, then what are we talking about here? That person shouldn't manage your money is you should have some kind of a friendship type connection with this person because it's an extremely important relationship. Money is the current running underneath nearly everything in life. So I would want to make sure that that is, is a conversation that's had. Additionally, I would want to know, is this person a fiduciary? If they have the letter CFP after their name, they are a fiduciary. This is a good thing. Um, 
it's kind of the designation you get when people know you're not messing around anymore. It's, it's um, considered to be the highest designation in our industry. Um, and I think it's also a good kind of litmus test to ask how many people they work with, um, because they should be aware of that because only so many people fit on the arc and you want to make sure that you have room there and that you're not entering a sausage factory that we're, we're churning and burning. You need to make sure that there's enough intimacy available as the best person that doesn't have capacity for intimate client relationships isn't going to be able to act as their best self. Um, so I would make sure that capacity and some kind of ongoing growth trajectory is important. Is there a continuity plan or is this just one person, right? We're, we're four partners in my firm, very much so by design, two generations, four partners. Um, so I'd say those are the major quick hits. And is everyone working in your firm um, able to speak the language of say me who talks about energy in terms of and money in terms of energy and you know what it does and ripple effects and how it impacts and flow and then also bring the spreadsheets like you do for my husband who gets really happy that someone else is now managing the spreadsheet. Like you seem to have really um, balanced abilities in those areas. And I'm wondering if that's a normal thing or if you're an outlier. You're going to make me blush, Kristen. Come on now. Um, you know, it's interesting in our practice because so the four partners, um, one of them is my dad actually. And, you know, he's the one that got me into Wayne Dyer and, we, you know, we've gone to the similar Tony Robbins events and, and things like that. And a lot of my spiritual journey has been fostered with his encouragement. Um, so dad, John, and I definitely can do both. And I have full faith that my other two partners can do both, but it's not their null stance. It's not what they're going to come out of the box with. So for example, if I get somebody that is hyper analytical, I'm probably going to suggest that they meet with Eric because they, those people are going to speak the same language. I can love that person. Let's say they could be an engineer, just super analytical, super about the numbers. The soul of money doesn't hit with them. It doesn't resonate. I can love that person. And I can appreciate that person, but acknowledge Eric's going to crush it with them because they don't want to hear about, you know, the, the energy blockages that they have around accumulating wealth from me. It's just not going to do it for them. And that's fine. Thank God we have different people in the world. Um, so no, I don't think it's normal. I think that most of the people in this industry are kind of operators. I think they are more of that analytical realm, but we exist. The crunchy cosmic people are here. You just got to find us. <laughs> the crunchy cosmic people. That should be after your name as well. Yeah, and we should do that. The CFP. <laughs> yeah. CC, crunchy cosmic. Yeah. Awesome. And beekeeper. Beekeeper should be there. It really should. It really should at the end of the day. I think that most of my clients are interested in, in the beekeeping. That's what ties us together. They want to know when they can get more honey. <laughs> oh, see, I didn't know that that was on the table, but now that I know, just put me on the list of someone who wants to buy honey. Um, and I actually, I actually really want to like raise my own bees one day. That was kind of a fantasy before I got Lyme. And then I had to, I was like going to conferences. I went to all these like, you know, garden, like, backyard, you know, powwows about it. I was super, super into the beekeeping thing. I almost purchased like, you know, I read the the dummy's guide to beekeeping, which is actually pretty subversive. This, yeah. you know, it's like, anyway, I was super into it and then Lyme. And so haven't gotten, haven't like revisited that fantasy. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of eager to pick your brain about it actually. Let's do it. And you can have as much honey as you want, but it's really, it's not 
that hard bees it's so i think it's such a cool case study of life an individual bee can do just about zero things a colony of bees is a super organism they vote they have productive society they build their comb they forage they do the most amazing things but they can only be done collectively an individual bee is nothing but collectively they're unstoppable they know what time it is and it's not just because of the sun. They did this funky thing where they took them all to different time zones and the bees still knew what time it was. It's kind of crazy. They're so impressive as organisms. And then of course, as you're aware, the medicinal, the medicinal benefits of working with the hives, being exposed to the pollen, having honey are pretty magical. Um, but bees are awesome. And it's really, it's we'll talk about it. It's not too heavy a lift. You can definitely do it. Put them next to the garden. Yeah, no, I'm interested. I'm in. Bees, bees are my next, my next horizon. I can't wait. Yay. So, so um, tell me some things that you feel like everybody should know about money. Like what are the what are the top three or five things that you feel like if everybody really could internalize this message about money, about finance, about planning for it, the world would be a better place. The first thing that comes to mind is that. Unlike time, money is a commodity that we can make more of. And I think that people walk through life feeling like they have infinite time and limited money. And that's backwards. We have limited time and infinite ability to have money. Money keeps reproducing. Time does not. So if we're thinking on where to focus your efforts, I think we need to figure out how you want to spend your time and your life. And the money is going to come. Money follows confidence. Money follows goodwill. And it's absolutely amazing to see what happens when somebody has a clear vision for their life, that the money thing kind of works out more often than not. If we can have that energetic availability, if you will, again, the universe is a mirror. So if we have this kind of abundant outlook, then you can kind of tap into, hey, money is this kind of limited, res limitless resource. I think that that's the most crucial misunderstanding that we have about money in this era is that it's limited because it's not. Um, beyond that, um, from a more technical perspective, different time frames should be treated differently. Let's unpack that for a moment. The money that you want to use in the next year or two years should be treated differently than the money that you want to spend in five years or in 20 years. You can take certain risks with the money that you don't want to use in 20 years that you wouldn't take with the two-year money. And you should have different tranches, if you will, of wealth. That's, that's a big one when people have their money all kind of in one type of places. Let's look at time frames, which of course, again, here we are back to the visioning comment, that having that vision for, hey, this is what I think I actually want out of life. Great. Now let's kind of line up your assets to make sense for the timeline that you anticipate. And of course, nothing ever happens the way that we think it's going to happen. So who knows if those timelines will be adhered to, but we should at least look at, okay, what's what should our immediate setup be for the timeline that we think we're having? And hopefully from candid conversations with the financial advisor that's assisting you here, we can build in the appropriate amounts of flexibility there. But I think the biggest thing is the time. People think time is abundant and money is scarce, and it's just not true. The, it's the exact opposite. I'm, and I'm assuming, based on what you've said, that you really believe that 
thought is kind of where where our destiny starts. Like you start with your thinking about it. So if you're if you change your mind, right? Change your mind, change your life. Isn't that what Wayne Dyer says? Like change, right. change your life. So you change your thinking about money to this to flip it and say it's time that's limited and money that's abundant. Then mm -hmm. your actions, your thoughts, your energy goes in the direction of that reality, yeah. manifesting that reality. Right. And the to anchor into that comment, your brain actually doesn't know the difference between what you vividly imagine and what's actually happening to you. And a lot of people spend their mind on vividly imagining all the ways that things can go wrong. And if we instead can envision the future that we want for ourselves and the miracles that can and will happen, your mind is anchored into that. That's like the first step in manifesting is now we're placing our mind intentionally on the positive future that we are creating for ourselves with these abundant resources that the universe has provided us. And now we get to start to move toward that is you need to, you need to believe it before you can see it. Right. So even if someone's hearing this and saying, well, I'm looking at my bank account and there's nothing in there. That is the reality. What's your response to that? To that is the reality. Like, it's not just what I'm thinking. It's what is. There's a starting line for everybody. And maybe that's your starting line. And what is compelling enough to get us beyond that? What kind of future is so exciting to you that it can pull you out of only thinking about what is today, the scarcity that you, you think and feel about today? What can pull you? And if we can figure out what the pull is, then let's start moving toward that. That's not like, oh yeah, and by the way, in six months, you're going to be a millionaire. That's unrealistic. That's ridiculous. But although it might be possible, actually, who knows? But take the first step to go, hey, this is, this is what I see right now, right? This is factually correct. There's zero right now. But this isn't my story. I'm not going to die here. I'm going to keep going. And I'm going to fearlessly think from an abundant mindset, I will be absolutely unwavering in my ability to think about the abundance that the universe has provided us. And I'm going to inch toward this. My mom and I have had a thing about turtles since I was a kid. Point being, if you have to crawl, you're going to get there. And crawling is cool, guys. I know that we're in this world that it's like, we're running, we're sprinting, everyone's getting to the top of the mountain and blah, 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 and all this ridiculous stuff that just glorifies achievement, which is just hollow. Fulfillment is good. Achievement is fine. Fulfillment is what we want. If you're going to crawl, you're going to crawl. And like, kudos to you, because most people are sitting or they're laying down or they're giving up. And it's amazing that once you decide that crawling is okay, I personal belief here, I think the right people are going to come out of the woodwork. And, and I think it's going to work out. It's interesting that you brought up the turtle and the crawling, the residency that I trained in our, our mascot, if you will, are actually kind of the encapsulation of our philosophy was the turtle and the, the training that we underwent in family medicine was called by our chair who invented the program turtle craft. And it was all about recognizing that slow and steady wins the race and that turtles are Turtles are, you know, comfortable on land and in water, multiple different terrains. You know, they can kind of go anywhere. They carry their tools with them. They carry their house on their back. And the family doctor was sort of the ultimate turtle in that way. It's also interesting because as you know, I spent last year crawling on my belly yeah. to heal my brain injury. 
Yeah. So I am, I am that really resonated with me and it's so true. It's sometimes it's the only place you need to be is going slow and on your belly and humbled and, you know, grinding it out, you yeah. know, knowing that slow and steady wins the race. And you have impeccable vision, right? So you experience this brain injury, but I mean, your energy around what you do and why you do it, and certainly the support that Greg and the people that love you give is just phenomenal, right? And that pulls you, right? And it, it helps you through. And that, that's it's just such a beautiful thing. Well, and I was incredibly fortunate to have that tool on my back. Like I, that was something I'd already accumulated, you know, in my travels was the knowledge of how to invoke neuroplasticity with crawling. And so I feel like whoever set up this lifetime for me, and I'm pretty sure it was me <laughs> yep. with my advisors, financial and otherwise. Yeah. Um, I, I think I, I think I'm, I'm pretty grateful to those people because that would have been a really hard thing to to go through without having, without knowing that I had the tool. I mean, it, it took me a couple of months to kind of admit that I was going to use the tools. I was kind of like, maybe I don't need my brain all the way. Like maybe I just garden and play with my puppies and yeah. But um, once I got there, I was happy to have the tool. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome. Anything else you feel like any human would benefit from kind of shifting their thinking around regarding money. I'm not sure. I I think it's just the message that there's always hope and where you are is never where you have to remain. It's like, as long as there's air, there's the ability to change. Mm -hmm. And it's great to acknowledge if you're not in the position that you want to be in, or if you're just in a position that's uncomfortable for other reasons and just doesn't feel aligned, it's a really outstanding thing to recognize that and to choose acknowledging that it's not your story. This is not the story that they're going to tell about me. This isn't it. I think that there's so much power in that. And it feels like something that we shouldn't do because maybe we shouldn't admit that we're not perfect. How crazy is that? We're all playing the same game, pretending that we don't know how it's played. Come on, folks. Nothing's perfect. It's not easy, but it's good. And we should really just be honest. And I think if we could bring more honesty to all kinds of conversations, but especially ones with respect to finances, um, I think that creates a better world. It's just wherever you are, it's like choosing to to really look at what is my story in my soul what is my story and just relentlessly moving toward that i think that's the most courageous thing that anybody could do wow well you know obviously when people work with you they're getting more than just a financial advisor partner they're getting a life coach and a super positive high vibe human who is going to hold them accountable to the highest version of themselves it's kind of a um, screaming deal, I would say, to work with you. I'm sure after hearing this, a lot of people are going to be like, sign me up. How do I work with Cassandra? What's the, where's the link for that like free clarity call? Like, But as you said earlier, there's only room for so many on the arc. So let's help people self-sort. Who's kind of the ideal person to work with you? Who gets the most value out of your kind of special angle? And who do you really want to be working with? What's What's your vision for yourself? And how are you amplifying your impact by working with people? The, the people that I enjoy working with the most 
are the ones that are just living outside of the lines <laughs> in the best way possible. Um, not to say that I don't love and respect those that are in the lines because they're wonderful too. But the person that just has something in their soul that they know they're not going to live a quote normal life. Like normal is not the goal for these people. Like I think about you and Greg and like, look at where, where you started and then your professional career takes a turn. And now post brain injury, how you're dealing with your own personal practice. Like that to me is just so darn cool. I will go to bat every day and twice on Sundays for you because what you're doing is awesome and it's different and the world needs it. And that to me is so cool. So like, just people that are doing things in a different way. And sometimes it's not these huge statements. It's just the person that's living intentionally. They're, they're living on purpose. They're looking to make an impact on the world in, in big or in small ways. And they're not going to just put their head down and, and work and enjoy their life at 65. That's the person I'm not a fit for, for sure. But if you want to do some weird stuff and have a great time doing it, let's figure out how to do that. That is so invigorating to me. Like when you told me about you're going to Greece, I think that's the coolest darn thing ever. Like, let's figure out how to do that. That's the stuff I want to work with people on. Like, you know, people that have just, a, they love life and, and they're doing it. So fun. I'm so grateful that we were put together. I feel really happy that I'm finally, and I, again, I never really wanted to think about money ever. You're like kind of the only person who's ever gotten me to get excited about thinking about financial planning. I'm so happy about that. Thank you, Megan, right? Yeah. Thank you, Megan, who put us together. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been really fun. And um, if somebody does want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, email is great. Calling is great. I would say email is the best way because Lindsay, who um, we joke, lets me pretend that I know what I'm doing. Um, she she gets the emails before I do usually and can make sure that everybody's appropriately scheduled. So email is fabulous. I'd, I'd love to hear from anybody. Anyone that's looking to do something, I'm all in. Let's get it done. Awesome. So we'll include the links to reach you in the show notes and in the email great. so that people have have that. Thank you again, Cassandra. This has been fabulous. You're awesome. This is the best. I really appreciate being able to be here together. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healing Grove podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to like and subscribe. And if you want to deepen your experience further, consider grabbing a copy of the Healing Grove playbook. With journal prompts for this podcast and 41 others, it's the perfect place to record your learnings, keep track of the tools you explore, and reflect on your own experience. Finally, it's important to mention that even though I am a doctor, nothing you hear on this podcast, whether from myself or my guests, constitutes medical advice. Any intervention you try should always be discussed with and supervised by a trusted member of your own healing team. Thanks for listening, and see you next time in the Healing Grove.